Good morning. Great to see everyone this morning. I want to begin this morning with a question to get our minds thinking. The question is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I'll ask it again. What do you do when you don't know what to do? It's the same answer as the first service. I ask that question because we live in a world, and specifically in this year, the very foundations of our certainties have been shaken. Things we thought we'd have this year, we didn't have. Students didn't get to graduate. Some people didn't get to travel. We gathered online to be in church. And that has led us to ask a series of other questions. What will this world look like in a year from now? When will we be able to get back to normal? What even will normal look like? These questions and several more have been asked because we as humans naturally desire to control things. And we can't control the things that are happening in our world today. And that forces us to ask the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Now, I do want to say that I was given this opportunity to uh, preach this morning with the original intents to uh, talk a little bit about youth ministry, my uh, vision for it, some of the ideas that I have, and some of my philosophies for it. Um, to make sure that you are all prepared for voting at the next board, uh, business meeting next Sunday. And with that being said, I will be talking about youth ministry, just not this morning. Uh, I will be taking Pastor Tom's Wednesday word and make it, I guess, a Preston's Wednesday word. Um, and I'll be talking about youth ministry at that point. So if you are interested in that, please do go there, or you can talk to me, call me, text me at some point if you have questions for things like that. But I, I kept running into this question today because I was imagining, I, I, I was thinking, okay, where is everybody at right now? We're, we're frustrated, we're, many people are angry, many people feel perhaps hopeless, some people feel lonely and isolated. And I think that that's all because we lack control right now. Thus forcing us to ask the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do. And with that, I decided to take that question and run with it. And when you look in the scriptures, there are several stories, more stories than we can count, of, of people who are asking the same question that we are going to ask and talk about this morning. But of those, all of those stories, I decided to focus in on this one here. So if you have a copy of the Bible, either on your phone or, uh, or a book cut version, Go to the book of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to start at verse 54. Again, that's Luke, chapter 23. We'll start at verse 54. And as you're turning there, allow me to provide some, some context to this passage, because we're kind of jumping right into the middle of a story. But this is... Not just any story. This is the story of how God died. 
Think about that for a second. There's a man named Jesus who, as shown in this story, for the past three years has been walking around the countryside and talking about a coming kingdom of God. He's been talking about it, he's been teaching on it, he's been preparing the hearts of the people for when it comes. But not just teaching on it, not just talking about it, he's also saying that he is going to be the leader of that kingdom of God when he says, I and the Father are one. Also, me, saying me and, the God, me and God are the same thing. Very bold claims. And he isn't just talking, he isn't just saying things, but he's providing actions to the things that he says in the forums of mirac- miraculous signs and wonders, miracles. The blind see. The paralyzed walk. Diseases healed. The dead raised to life. He began to form a reputation from the people, some good and some bad, and, and, and he takes this message and he brings it in this story to the city of Jerusalem, which is the setting of this story. He takes it there and he, again, he shares these, these, these teachings of the coming kingdom of God and his part in that and our part in that, and he, he, he uh, gives miracles, performs miracles for people. And the officials, the religious leaders of the time, they, they didn't like it. They, were, they thought that he was blaspheming. He was a false teacher. He wasn't teaching from God. And so they decided to form a trap against Jesus, which led ultimately to Jesus Christ being arrested and standing before these religious leaders who convicted him of a crime that he wasn't committing. They convicted him of a crime and they sent him to the Roman leaders at the time who sentenced him to death, death via crucifixion. They said, crucify him, crucifixion, the object of torture, shame, and pain. Something that you and I just cannot understand in our world today. Jesus, for a full day, endured malicious whipping Beating, flogging. His bones were being crushed by these people. He was getting mocked and ridiculed. They took thorns and they wrapped him up into the shape of a crown. They forced him upon his head. And they mocked him, ironically calling him the king of the Jews. They forced him to carry a large wooden beam weighing hundreds of pounds, and walking him through the city, eventually out of the city to a small hill called Calvary, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, where eventually they took this wooden beam and they stuck it and they formed a cross and they, they, they pierced his hands, his wrists, and his feet, and they nailed him to the cross, literally nailed him to the cross, where he either had the choice to breathe or suffer excruciating pain. Are you uncomfortable yet? Because you should be. For several hours, he he battled to survive. And then eventually, he looks up towards heaven and says, Father, to you I commit my spirit. Then Jesus lowers his head, breathes his last, and now God just Now, Jesus was not alone up on this hill suffering this death. He had 
uh, people that were up there. And you would think, based on reading the entirety of the book of Luke, you would think that it would be his disciples, these 12 men that, that devoted their lives to him, that followed him, that trusted in him, believed that he would bring this new kingdom and wanted to be part of it. But at the moment when their Lord needed them most, the moment when their Lord, when the rubber met the road and they faced persecution, they ran off and scattered to protect their own lives. So his disciples are not there, but instead, the people that are there at the cross is a group of women. Followers of Jesus, people that were following along not nearly to the length that the disciples were, not nearly as into the inner circle as the disciples were, but they were followers. And they, they had believed that this Jesus would bring in the new kingdom. They believed that this Jesus would come and destroy their oppressors. And now as they look at their God hung on a tree, dying, imagine the thoughts that they were thinking. Imagine the emotions that were swarming their minds. Frustration, anger, confusion, doubt. Forcing them to ask the same question we are asking, what do we do now? We think that our foundation has been shaken. We know that our God is alive. And so what do we do with this story? How do we, how does this, what does the story mean to us? Well, I would suggest that the actions that the women take in this story help us to understand what we do when we don't know what to do. And so follow along in this story with me as we start up at verse 54. And we'll, we'll go through the story, and then after we go through the story, we'll make uh, an ap- so a couple of application points after that. So please join me in verse 54. It says, It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Okay, there's a lot happening there, so let's break this down. It was, they're, they're setting it was the day of preparation. What does that mean? So according to the Jewish calendar system, very similar to ours, culturally very similar to ours, is there's six days of work and one day of rest. But then, it, and it was called this thing called the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. Sabbath literally means to cease or to stop. And the way that God had commanded the Jewish people to operate is to work six days and to rest one day. Some of you are familiar with this. But before that one day was the day of preparation. And on this day of preparation, they're literally preparing for the Sabbath day. They might have been cleaning their homes. They might have been going out to the market and buying food. They, might have, they, they would have come back with the, the food and they would have made it ahead of time and basically left, saved leftovers for the next day to prepare for the Sabbath. So that's what that means. And then we see that, they, that, that it's the day of preparation, the Sabbath is coming, that the women see Jesus' body laid in the tomb, a tomb it would have been a small cave where there would have been a rock bed for the dead body to lay. They watched their God get put into this tomb wrapped in cloth or balm, kind of like what you would imagine some sort of 
like mummy, wrapped in this cloth, laid on this rock bed, and had this massive boulder pushed into the way and the entrance of the tomb. A boulder weighing hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, would have had to have been pushed by several soldiers. They see all this happen. Their God is dead. So what do they do? They go back home. They prepare spices and ointment, and they rest on the Sabbath day. Why prepare spices and ointment is the next question. And the answer is, according to very much a cultural Jewish thing is that when, when a dead body, when someone would die, you would wrap them in cloth, put them in a tomb, and put these spices and ointments on them to sort of honor the dead body, honor the person that just died. It was, it was a cultural thing. It was one of those things that you just kind of did. It was one of those things you knew that you would end up doing. And if you didn't do it, it would be, it, it's just, it would be confusing. You'd say, why wouldn't you do that? It'd be the same thing as if we were to bury some, one of ours who had just died, but not put a tombstone right above their their coffin. Just why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? That's just kind of what you do. It's very similar in that regard. And so they went home and they prepared these spices and these ointments. And then they rested on the Sabbath day. They did nothing on the Sabbath day. Specifically, it says, according to the commandment. Now, when you read stories in the Bible, There are details that get put in that seem like they don't matter, but every single detail that's put into any story in Scripture is intentionally and purposely put there to to convey a meaning, convey a point. And here we see that as they're, they're following the Sabbath according to the commandment, they are obeying the commandments that God has already given them. When they see that their world is shaken, they go back to what they already know. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. And so they rest for a day or... I don't know about you, but I would not be able to rest for that day. Imagine their emotions that day. Imagine their feelings that day, sitting, doing nothing, maybe reading, maybe praying, weeping together. So much time to just sit idly and to let your thoughts invade and your doubts invade. Imagine what they were thinking. And so... After honoring the Sabbath, after going back to the basics of what they already knew God had told them to do, we get to the chapter 24, verse 1. Read along with me. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Okay, so we're after the Sabbath. The Sabbath has already happened. They were able to rest And so then they go the next day to finish this burial process, to honor their Lord, honor this man, Jesus. And it doesn't show it specifically in this story, but in one of the other accounts of the story of Jesus Christ, the women, as they're walking, they're asking themselves the question, who's going to roll the stone away when we get there? That's one of those questions that you're just kind of getting in the motion of something. You, you got a plan and you move forward with the plan, but in the process of moving forward, you hadn't thought of it ahead of time and you go, oh, shoot, I didn't think of that. How are we going to handle that? And imagine them, they're walking, they have their spices and their ointments and it's early in the morning. It must have been, the sun was rising, it must have been a cool morning. And they're asking, they're, they're going, oh, no, we, we, we forgot about this part. What are we going to do? 
We can't roll this stone out of the way. It's hundreds of thousands of pounds. We can't do that. But notice that they don't stop. Notice that they don't go back for help. Notice they don't do any of these sorts of things. They still continue to go. They still continue on with their plan. They don't have the way to, they haven't figured it all out, but they're going along with it. They're saying, this is what we know we need to do. And we're going to go and do that. Verse 2. As they're walking, as they're going, it says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Hold on one second. We, We just saw him dead two days ago. Why is this, this, this stone is rolled away and they go, okay, well maybe, you know, whatever. Someone rolled the stone away. This is, this is weird. You know, there's, there's a lot happening right now and they're trying to collect themselves and they go, okay, well the stone's rolled away. And then, and then it says also that as they go up there in verse three, they do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Hold on one second. We just saw him dead two days ago. We just saw his body laid there, wrapped in cloth. He wasn't breathing. He was gone. And now his body isn't here anymore. What's going on? You can imagine the theories they're developing. Someone might have stolen the body. Someone might have tried to dishonor our Lord. Perhaps even some of them were hoping for a miracle, but their doubts were getting the best of them. And they're confused, and they're frustrated, and they're tired, and they're And they're saying, what is going on? And in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their questioning, in the midst of not knowing what's happening, God comes into the picture. Verse 5. And as they were frightened, no, sorry, verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. You could imagine that if they were given more time, they would have left to arguments. They would have been arguing with each other, saying, what was happening? What was going on? Who did this? Who did that? And then all of a sudden, a light shines down from above, so bright that they can barely look at it. And two people appear in front of them in clothes that cannot be described as other than dazzling apparel. And in verse 5, it says, and they stood frightened. I've always thought it interesting. That when we, the, the idea that we have of angels is almost these plump little fat babies up on clouds with harps. But when you look at the Bible, angels are terrifying. Angels were not made in the image of God. They don't look like you or me. And they possess a power from heaven that you and I don't understand. And every time they're mentioned in scripture, people are terrified of them. People bow before them, and that's exactly what these women do. It says that they, they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. And then these men, angels, spoke. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. They had just seen their God die two days ago. And now these strange heavenly beings that terrified them, for, made them think and, and fear and bow their heads, is telling them that this God that you, you saw die is alive. And that not only is he alive, but he's been telling you that this was going to happen this whole time. And you just didn't get the message. You didn't get the picture. You look in the gospel accounts, and there are three different times specifically where Jesus says, I'm going to be handed over to the officials. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. And every single one of those times, the disciples, the people that were listening, they were confused by it. They didn't understand it. They were saying, what do you, what do you mean by that? Is this like a metaphor? Is this like a poetic device? What are you doing here? They didn't understand what Jesus was telling them. And these women didn't understand what God was doing. And thus, as they, they moved forward with their idea of what they were supposed to do, God radically changed their plans. He came in and he, he said that, that Jesus is alive. Your plan doesn't need to happen anymore. And they gained a perspective. They gained a perspective of the things that had been happening of the past two days and of the past three years. And it specifically says they remembered his words. They got it. It clicked. Hindsight really is 2020. They understood at that point. And at that point, you see that they, in the rest of the story, as the story ends, they, they run back to the disciples, the disciples that they could find, and they say, Jesus is alive. We thought he was dead. We saw his dead body, but we found out that he is alive. But it's interesting that at the end of the story, it says that those that heard them, heard these women, didn't believe them. You don't know what you're talking about. We saw him being crucified. That's a one-way ticket. You don't come back from that. And then we do see Peter, one of the disciples, run back to the, back to the grave, back to the tomb. And we see that he sees the tomb. He sees the empty tomb. And it says that he marveled at it. It doesn't say that he believed. It's interesting. G Peter even comes back and sees it with his eyes, but he still doesn't believe it. He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand what's happening. But these women were faithful in the little things. They were faithful in the basics of their beliefs in God. And God used that to radically change their minds, radically show them what he was doing all along. And as the story closes, an interesting thing to note is that we don't see Jesus at all in this story. Jesus doesn't talk to his disciples until several verses later. They didn't see the body of Jesus 
risen. They saw him die. They didn't see him alive, at least in this account of the story. They believed through faith. They said, this is what Jesus said. This is what, these were the words that Jesus has given us, and we are going to believe these words. And that gave them the joy that, that, that turned the genre of this story from one of sorrow to one of joy, from one of pain to one of worship. And that happened when they remembered his words and they believed in his words. And so the story ends and we are left with still questions. What, do, what is this? What, connect the dots. What does this mean? Why does this matter for us today? I would like to make a suggestion that when we don't know what to do, you do what you know and you let God do the rest. I'll say it again because this is the most important sentence from this sermon. When you don't know what to do, do what you know and let God do the rest. Okay? From that, I have two different points specifically that I want to talk about. The very first point, judging on what the women had done in this story, is we need to be getting back to the basics of our belief in God. We see that the women, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of plans ruined, said we need to take a step back. We know, we have to, we know we're going to prepare the spices and ointments. We know this is what you do. And we know we have to honor the Sabbath. These were clear commands given to these women from the Old Testament. They went back to the basics of their belief in God. And that's what I'm challenging us to be doing here today and here on out. Is that we need to get back to the basics of God with all the questions we're asking. God, what are you doing? God, why did my family member lose their job? God, why did that person have to die? These are all hard questions. We may not always get the answers to these questions. But what we can know is that while we don't know the here and the now, or even the future, we know what God has already told us to do in the past. And we need to get back to the basics of our belief in God. And I would make the suggestion that the, base, the back to the basics of our belief is getting back to the basics of our relationship with God. The very core, I would suggest, of our beliefs in God is a relationship with him. Because you see, when, when Christ came and died on this cross and rose from the dead, he didn't do it just because. He did it intentionally to save you and to save me. When Christ died on that cross, he paid a debt that you and I could never pay. The Bible says that the punishment of sin is death. The only thing that, we can, that can pay off the sin in our lives is death. That is it. And none of us can make that perfect sacrifice. We can work as hard as we want. We can tire ourselves out as much as we want. But we can never make it to God on our own. And so what God does is God instead decides to come to us in the form of Christ Jesus, in the form of living a perfect life in Christ Jesus and, and dying on the cross 
dying for your sins and for mine, raising from the dead, conquering sin and death, gives you and me an opportunity to believe in Jesus, to repent of our sins and to believe that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty of our sins and to have a relationship with God. That is the core of our belief in God is our relationship with him. We need to get back to that. We, we get so confused. We ask God so many questions, we forget to actually talk to him. We don't know anything, and so we, we, we forget that he is the knower of all things. Reach out to God. Get back to the basics. Even today, come back to your relationship with God. Go to God in prayer. Seek him out in his word. Get back to the basics of your relationship with God. And I'll expand out that idea of relationships even more because from our relationship with God, we, are no, we know that we are supposed to have a relationship with people. And I get that it's hard. It's harder to have relationships with people. There are some people that are, are choosing to stay home today, specifically some of our viewers, and that is okay. You're allowed to do that. And with that, we as Christians must be in community. And that looks different for everyone these days. We're able to meet in church. We're able to meet and regather here in this building. But just Sunday morning does not fulfill community. Just Sunday morning does not fulfill community. It's, it's a good part of it, and it's something that we need. But it is not all of it. We have ministries that are opening up. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting happening this Wednesday. We have the children's ministry happening. We have youth group going on. If you're not in any of those things, we have life groups that are happening for all ages and for all people. Perhaps get involved in a life group. We have several. Be in community. Get back to the basics. Honor your relationships. Spreading out even further past that, some of the particularities Husbands and wives, love each other. Don't let your relationship be destroyed over this quarantine. Support each other. Just a simple Google search will show you how much marriages are being hurt right now. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love and honor your husbands. We need to be getting back to the basics of our belief in God. And that happens through relationships. So I'd encourage you to do that. The next thing that I would suggest is that after you get back to the basics of our belief in God is that we form our plans and we let God change our plans. That sounds like an oxymoron. We form our plans, we solidify our plans, we say we're going to take it and we're going to go. But we're also saying, God, take this plan and do with it whatever you will. These women, they came, to the, they came to the tomb and they said, we have a plan moving forward. And God decided to say, I'm going to change your plan. This plan that you had, this plan that you formulated, this good idea that you have, you don't need that anymore because I changed it. For all of us today, all of the plans that we've had, perhaps for this past year and perhaps for years to come, have been changed dramatically For some, it's graduation. For some, it's job opportunities. For some, it's 
anniversaries or, or trips, time spent with family far away. It looks different for all of us, but we've all made plans and they've all been changed. These women made plans and God changed them. We need to be making our plans, yes. We need to be doing the things that we can do. Again, getting back to the basics. But we cannot hold on to our plans so tight that God cannot move in those, that God cannot change those plans. Because as good as your plan is and as good as my plan is, God is the one that determines whether or not that will happen. And with that also, as these, as these women's plans were changed, God spoke directly into that and gave them a perspective that they would not have had before, had their plans followed through. If Jesus' body was still there, then God's plan would have been, then their plan would have followed through, sure. They would have done their plan, but would it have been better? Instead, as they went about and got their plan, and they fulfilled their plan, but then it was changed direct, dramatically, God came in and said, here's why I did this. Here's why these last two, few days mattered. Here's why these last three years mattered. So that Christ can die for you and for me. Pretty good change in plan. And so I encourage you, it is okay to mourn over changed plans. You can do that. And I also encourage you to let God change more of your plans. However that comes, however that happens, because many times through that, many times through those difficult times, when we do not have control over those things we desire most are when God best gets a hold of us. Think of all the times that you've grown closer to Christ. How many of those happened in a fun and comfortable place? How many of those happened when everything was going really, really well? Versus how many of those actually happened in the midst of your sorrow and your pain, in the midst of your suffering? And many times, and sometimes, God does not reveal his whole plan to us immediately or over time. Sometimes he doesn't give us any snapshot of why he does the things he does. And that is where faith comes into play. That is where our beliefs in God come into play. That is where when we realize we don't understand and we don't see it in front of us, we can reach out in faith and know that God is in control, that know that God is going to win, that God already has won. We already have one because God has one. When you don't know what to do, do what you know, let God do the rest. Get back to the basics. Make your plans and let God change your plans. And when you still don't know, trust in God.